Alcohol Awareness Month is a public health program organized by the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence as a way of increasing outreach and education regarding the dangers of alcoholism and issues related to alcohol. The program was started in April of 1987 with the intention of targeting college-age students who might be drinking too much as a part of their newfound freedom. It has since become a national movement to draw more attention to the causes and effects of alcoholism, as well as how to help families and communities deal with drinking problems. Since Neil and I are well acquainted with the 12 steps of recovery, and especially since Neil began his recovery journey in a traditional 12-step non-denominational meeting founded on the principles of AA, we decided this month we would share some of the basic concepts behind Alcoholics Anonymous, especially since right now in isolation, so many people are suffering with their addictions or realizing they might have a problem that they need help with. We really believe this topic will reach everyone at some point in some capacity, whether you yourself struggle with addiction or someone you love does. We hope that today's episode sheds light on an issue that's sometimes hard to find solutions with, and that if you know someone who might be struggling, that you'll share it with them. If you listen to this episode and you love it, we would love it if you'd take a screenshot and share it and tag me on social media. Um, And also, it helps us so much if you guys leave a rating and a review. I wanted to just quickly read a rating that we got a couple weeks ago that just made my day. It was entitled So Inspiring and it's by Carly RG and it says, I just love, love, love Corinne and Neil. I feel like we are great friends. I'm so inspired by the messages that are shared this week. Very uplifting, relatable, and encouraging. We love you too. We feel like you're friends with us too. And I just really appreciate everyone who takes just a minute or two to support us, leave ratings, leave reviews, share the episodes. It means the world to us. So thanks you guys. Welcome, everybody. I'm here with my best friend. Hi, guys. My best quarantine friend. Yes. (laughs) Neil and I are going to talk about a topic today that I believe will affect everyone, even if you might think right off the bat that it won't, because it's something that I feel like even if it's not something you personally struggle with, you probably know someone and love someone who does or who will eventually. And that is the topic of addiction. And we decided to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous because April is Alcoholism Awareness Month, I believe, right? Yeah, that sounds right. So I'm going to be basically interviewing Neil today and just talking about where he found his original foundation in AA, why he loves it so much, you know, how we still incorporate that in our ARP meetings that we now, you know, attend. We're now virtually attending, which is really cool. And I think that a lot of people are facing this in various ways with the unique challenges that come through all of the COVID-19, you know, shakeup in the world. So let's start, Neil, with your foundation, where that all began. And if anyone's listening to this and they're confused about why I'm asking my husband about Alcoholics Anonymous, there are past episodes you can listen to that really go deep into Neil's addiction recovery story and mine and all of that um, as a supportive spouse. But let's start at the beginning. So how many years ago was it when you first walked into a 12-step meeting? So that would have been back in 2009. It was actually right after we met. Um, Fun fact. So, (laughs) but first and foremost, I mean, 
as far as AA goes, well, the meeting that I walked into, my my, I, I guess uh, my addiction is pornography. So I went to a Sexaholics Anonymous meeting or SA. So SA is based off of the same exact twelve steps as AA. They just replace alcohol uh, with lust when you read the steps. And they use the same text, so it's like uh, the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the 12 and 12, um, 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, if anybody, you know, if you're familiar with that. So um, I just want to make that clarification so that this this will make sense. So, um, but the way that the meeting was ran was was very similar to an AA meeting. They, they ran it very closely related. We used all the same text. We worked the steps in a similar or the same way. Um, but yeah, I started going to those meetings back in 2009. So let's paint a picture for anyone who's not been to an AA meeting or any type of 12-step meeting, because I think it's, I think a lot of people, their only exposure to what that is, is the media and the media's portrayal. And so they might have certain preconceived notions. What is it like for a person who walks into their very first 12-step meeting? Um, I think the first thing that I, my experience in walking into it was, it was crazy to just see how real, raw, and just open people were. I'd never been in an, in an environment where I've seen that level of honesty, where people are just talking about, you know, very candidly about challenges that they're having in their lives, about their families falling apart, things that they've done or or are actively trying to stop doing, um, you know, talking about their, you know, character weaknesses and challenge, like defects of character, where, Whereas before in the outside world, it's very much the opposite. You try and, you know, I was used to putting, putting up a front and Mm -hmm. being like, nah, like it's good. Or yeah, I had this problem at one time, but now it's good. And I overcame it and life is grand, but people were actively talking about struggles and challenges they were in the midst of. So it was almost, it almost was kind of threw you off. And then, you know, initially my thought was like, man, I'm just, well, these guys are gnarly. Like I am nothing like these people. <laughs> like this is intense. And isn't that a common thread with a lot of addicts? The first time they walk into a meeting, they're, they want to just look for the yeah. differences, right? <clears throat> yeah. I've heard a lot of people, if not most of the people that I know in recovery say that they're like, man, I, I'm nothing like these people. Like these people are crazy off the rails. Like, man, I just have a, a problem, you know, a, a drink here or there, or, you know, I just, you know, watch pornography every now and again, like I'm nothing like these guys. I'm not out doing X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, this person's talking about this is next level. But those people oftentimes are the ones that are finally at a meeting because they just lost everything or they just lost their job. They just lost their family, you know, or it was court ordered or whatever. Yeah. Or there's some end of the road, you know, their wife caught them in a lie or caught them, you know, engaging their addiction or, um, you know, something happened to where they got there. And the initial feeling is like, man, I'm not, I'm nothing like these people. But as you, you come to a meeting and you, you know, begin that process and you hear shares and you really start to listen, you find out, man, I have so much in common and and we're all the same, man. Like I, I struggle, you know, maybe it's a different addiction or a different way of acting out on my addiction, but it reads and sounds the exact same. Yeah, I think that's a really important differentiation or just expectation to tell people 
about that it may not be a warm, fuzzy, like, oh, I belong here kind of experience the first time. Probably someone... won't be. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think few people roll into a meeting and be like, wow, yes, I feel like I'm one of the one of the people here. You know, I'm a regular. <laughs> um, you, you know, I think it's it can can take you back a bit. set up even more of a picture as far as are these in church buildings always are they in civic buildings are they ran by like one particular person do you have to pay for them all the things kind of paint a physical picture of yeah. what to so as far expect. as where they're held all kinds of different places uh civic centers church buildings um any of all kinds of denomination um, you've got a lot of variations of meetings. You've got, you know, just the straight up AA Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And then you've got other groups who have kind of adopted the 12 steps and have their own 12 step meetings. You've, you know, you've got like a, you know, Celebrate Recovery or SA or ARP, Addiction Recovery Program for the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Um, you've got NA, Narcotics Anonymous meetings, which are, the, it's the same idea. You use, you know, you've got, um, all kinds of addictions have their 12-step meetings, but they all basically use the same um, foundation of the 12 steps. Right. And also, just to throw this into a lot of people that I know and have worked with have benefited from Al-Anon, which is like kind of the spinoff as far as people who are loved ones of someone who struggles with addiction. So Yeah, so like those yeah, those who are in the same family as someone who is a alcoholic, there's a recovery that needs to happen for the people who are um you know, family members or closely related to those individuals who are struggling. Okay, so the next question I have is does it cost anything and then who's running these meetings? So the coolest thing is they are free. So you show up, um, some meetings, I know in SA, they pass around like a little donation plate that you could, you know, throw in a, a dollar or two just to cover very basic costs of maybe there's a small rental fee for, you know, the center they're in or for like a, you know, I know some groups are like big on coffee or something like that, like AA, um, I think, you know, does that a lot or just for different costs that are involved, um, you can, you know, you can, it's an optional deal, but they're free. And then what was, sorry, what was your other question? Oh, I just asked, this was something I was curious about when Neil first started telling me that he was going to these 12 step meetings was who's running the meetings, like who's in charge of this? Yeah. So that's the cool thing. And that comes from the 12 traditions. So there's 12 steps, which are like how, what you work through with the program. And then there's also 12 traditions that were established by early members of AA, which talk about basically how the meetings are to be run. So there's not like a hierarchy of like, you know, this person is the headmaster or this person's the CEO and he runs all the meetings. It's kind of like, you know, if someone's got some sobriety, some time in recovery and has worked through the steps and has found recovery, you know, they can lead a meeting, head up a meeting. And oftentimes different meetings will do it different ways. Sometimes they'll rotate people through those positions. So it's kind of more, the whole idea is to create equality. Basically, so there's not a feeling of of like 
you know, I'm not as good. I'm, I'm less than or, or greater than any, anybody else in the meeting. So they, they rotate through those positions. Okay. That's it's cool. It's all service orient. You know, you, you serve within these capacities. Right. I love that. And then last question. So I know for us, when we go to ARP, which is facilitated through our church, um, usually they try to create a circle. And I love that because then it's not like people can come in and sit in the back. It's kind of like everyone's in that equal circle. Is it the same thing with most AA meetings too? From my experience, yes. Um, I'm sure that there are some meetings. I've heard of different things, um, other meetings being ran a little differently where it's not always like that. But most of the ones, in fact, all of the meetings that I've been to, it's always a circle. Uh, which which I think is cool because it just is like, hey, we're all the same. We're all equal here and we're all just trying to find the solution. Yeah, I love that too. Okay, so give us some background on who these dudes were that came up with AA and and how that even came to be. So yeah, that's a great question. It's a really an amazing story. Um, if you want the full version, uh, really, and this is where I learned it, is from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it's it's a book that was written by the founders of AA. So there was a, a doctor, um, they call him Dr. Bob, who was a suffering horribly with alcoholism and struggling to overcome, you know, his challenges. And, and then there was uh, basically like a stock broker. Um, and this was in like the early 1900s um, during the Great Depression. Um, so, you know, they were in these times that were crazy and there was these two guys that were just suffering with their alcoholism and there really wasn't, wasn't, you know, there weren't any solutions. Nobody talked about it. Um, it just kind of was, you go to the psych ward and they try different things and, and that's, you know, where they put people who are suffering with, with this disease. And so these two, you know, people ended up, and this is the total overview, you know, it's way more in depth than this and there's a lot more to it. But basically they find each other and they recognize that there's something about two addicts who are suffering that are trying to get better as they communicate with each other and they work together that they can find solution. And that's kind of where they discovered you know, the miracle of, of recovery and how that can happen. And so they, there were other groups There were, was an earlier group. I think they referred to them as the Oxford groups. So it's basically was like a, you know, a group of, of people who were meeting together and, and trying to really practice and keep each other accountable to Christian principles and like good living and how to, you know, really develop yourself. And so I think, you know, these, these guys, they attended some of these Oxford groups and took some of the, you know, the information that they were hearing there and then really kind of put things together based off of that into the 12 steps. And then they went out and they would work with other alcoholics. They would go to the local hospitals and, and just basically find, you know, talk to them and say, hey, give me somebody who's just bottom drunk. They're just completely lost and, and struggling and you know, with our alcoholism and let, let us work with them. And so that's where it began. And they started to, you know, create these meetings and find success. They found success in their own recoveries and then helped others to find recovery. Um, so this is, that's, again, that's is like, there's way more to it than that, but that's just a that's very a high, high, yeah. high level overview.
point out too, when you say the big book, I always picture something like War and Peace, like 3,000 pages or something. Yeah, you know, it's, not, like huge. it's not that big. If, it's like if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it looks kind of like the Book of Mormon. It does. Like it, it looks like the same <laughs> it's size. It's like a blue, same size, similar covering. It's kind of funny. Um, it just says Alcoholics Anonymous on it. But, um, you know, it, it basically, these two guys, Dr. Bob and Bill W., as they, you know, the, were the founders, it's, they they wrote it, they include their stories and then their experience in working the program and then outline each of the 12 steps and talk about, you know, how to practice these principles, how to work the program. And then towards the end of it, they include stories of other people that they found as they were, you know, working their program and trying to help others. And it's people who recovered from just crazy, miraculous recoveries of people who were deep, deep, deep in their addiction, who others had given up hope on and just said, there's no hope for you. Um, and these people recovered and they, they found that through the 12 steps. That's awesome. Um, I do want you to explain though, what you mean when you say recovered, because I think some people, and you and I have talked about this, people will talk about, so when are you like graduating from that program that you do? Or when, when are you done with your classes? That's a great question. I get that question all the time is like, oh, cool. So you go for a little while, like when you work the 12 steps and then you're done. And it, it really doesn't work that way Um, from my experience and the experience of others that I've heard in the program. It's, you know, you're in recovery, you can kind of put it in remission, but there's, I don't know, there's, there's not really like a graduation. There's not really (laughs) like a, Hey, like I've gone for so long, I'm done. The way that the steps are set up is it's, it's a complete change of your life and your heart and your mind. And then in order to retain that change, um, through AA talks about a higher power that you identify, um, your higher power makes that change, and then you in turn go and help others. And then there's the final maintenance steps where you got 10, 11, 12, where you live in recovery or you practice these principles in everything that you do on a daily basis throughout your life in order to retain that change that happened. Um, but if you, you know, or I, anyone, um, if I chose to just opt out of that and be like, man, I'm, I'm over it, I'm, I'm graduated, I'm healed, um, there's a severe risk and and most likely most addicts will go back out, meaning right. they'll go back to their drug of choice. Right. So let's talk about the point of attending these meetings. And can you just, I want you to talk about, can you just show up and forever and like, will that get you sober or what does it take? I'm asking questions that I already know answers to, but yeah. I'm assuming no, that question. someone listening like to this. What do you, how do you even start? Like, what do you even do? Right. And what's going to be required of you for it to actually work? Well, first and foremost, I think there's a saying within the, you know, the meetings that I first attended where it's like bring the body. So it's step, you know, and in essay, they, they call it step zero. Um, and they refer to it in a different text. It's, it's called the white book, which is, is basically taking the AA principles and translating them into, you know, terminology and experiences with sex addiction. Um, and so how that happened and uh, you know, just a very brief overview of that is like, um, there was a guy who's struggling with, you know, addiction to sex and, um, you know, acting out in that way and could not find solution, but then saw an article in Time Magazine about AA and how these people were changing their lives. So he started going to AA meetings 
Um, this guy's name was Roy Kay, and he started finding the solution for sex addiction and then ended up, you know, writing a book called The White Book and then starting Essay. So he basically licensed the 12 steps and instead of alcohol, you know, he would use the word lust to kind of overall encompass, you know, the sex addiction in general. So in that sense, and in the white book, they talk about step zero, which is you, you show up, you bring the body, bring the body and the feeling will follow. Um, and then initially that's kind of like what you need to do. You just show up and you listen and, and listen to people who have found recovery who have uh, worked through the steps. And, and as you, you listen, you kind of start to get a sense of it. Um, but then you can only do that for so long. At some point, you, you have to, you got to get to work. Well, and even with show up. So do you mean like if the meetings every Tuesday night, you show up like on the ones that are convenient to you, like once a month or like every now and again? It depends. Honestly, in my own experience and what I would impart to somebody just, yeah, come, come to the meeting. But I mean, if you, for the people that are serious about it, that really gain traction, a lot of them go to meetings every day in the beginning. That's what I did. Um, I basically had almost a meeting every night that I went to. Um, and a lot of them were different, you know, there weren't all essay and there was an ARP meeting. There was, you know, different meetings I went to, but, um, you got to really immerse yourself in order to be able to f get those early days of abstinence to even get any time whatsoever away from acting out on your addiction or drinking or whatever it is, it's like you really have to be committed and engaged on a daily basis um, in order to get any momentum. Right. And a lot of people will call that like a 90 and 90, right? Explain yeah. what that is. So it's 90 meetings in 90 days. So a lot of times that's kind of what people do. They'll go to a meeting every day um, or sometimes they'll go to a couple meetings in a day in order just to be completely, you know, you're, you're immersing yourself in these meetings, you're immersing yourself in the solution. And there's, you know, there's a phrase where it's like, you know, it's hard to indulge in your addiction or with a head full of recovery. You know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, it just kind of doesn't, it makes it more challenging, um, which is what you need. So 90 and 90 is a way to just really jumpstart your recovery and immerse yourself in to the steps and into the solution in order to get enough abstinence or time away from your addiction so that you can really begin to look at the roots or the why underlying why you even have an addiction in the first place. So I do want to address though, at the time at least that I feel like you finally really had it all come together for you. You weren't doing a 90 and 90. You weren't doing everyday meetings. And I think the reason why I want to differentiate that is that I think some people will listen to this and be like, I have a family. I have a job. I have an XYZ. Like, I don't think that in my opinion and from watching you and other people who really find the solution, it doesn't always have to be that hardcore. Would you agree as far as like you can still find the solution without having to show up to a meeting every day for 90 days? You, you can, but I mean, as far as the focus goes, like it does take, I, I think there are a lot, of, I've seen a lot of people come into meetings where they're like, you know, Hey, I just show up to this class or whatever, right. you know, and I, I just come, you know, once a week or once a month and, you know, it, you see the struggle like to really put time together. So in the beginning, I think, that's kind of what I had to do. But as you adopt the principles, the way of life, 
of living in recovery, staying connected to other addicts, like working dailies, working a program daily. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not that type of thing where it's like, you know, every single day you're going to live that way the rest of your life need to. But, but as far as like being engaged and having a recovery mindset, that's something that I literally, I do have to think of that every single day and live my life in recovery and choose to make, you know, recovery a priority, the priority every day Mm -hmm. in order to, to maintain that change that happened in working the steps. So what does that look like every day? I mean, I know what you call them and I know what that looks like, but explain to someone who doesn't understand what that, when you say like, I have to make those choices and make that a priority. What does that look like? Um, basically the whole program is really based off of a concept, which totally throws people through me at first called you, you surrender or you are letting go of your attempt to control and work your, your way out of the situation on your own. Because I think my entire life and in most addicts stories I've read or heard, there's this sense of like, man, okay, I really get to that point where I want to make a change, but like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, and it's just not happening. I'm trying to will my way out of it. I'm trying to think my way out of it. I'm trying to, you know, work, do all this stuff on my own or go to the gym a bunch or, you know, whatever, that that's going to be the solution. Or what, you know, what my buddy said, like his, his mom suggested tennis lessons, like take, (laughs) take tennis lessons and, and, you know, that'll get you off your pain pills. And well, I shouldn't laugh because that's someone who just, yeah, they're like, like like most well-intended things in the world. Like people that, you know, everyone has great intentions, but it's basically coming to that point of like, look, I have, I don't have this. And I've proven that because I've tried and tried and tried over and over and over. And I've failed. I've disappointed people. I've wrecked my life. I've wrecked my family's life. I've lost my job. I've, you know, whatever, you know, you hear some gnarly stories and, but you know, there's also high bottom drunks or high bottom addicts where it's like, okay, you know, I haven't had this happen, but still there's unmanageability in my life. So really what it comes down to is incorporating every single day, starting out the day with a humility and that, and that, is for me and for a lot of addicts is through prayer. And that's what the, the big book talks a lot about as well Is there's, you know, different rote prayers that they, they have that they say to kind of surrender or develop this humble attitude beginning in the morning to where you're submitting your will and saying, look, I don't have this, but I know that a higher power or I know that God does. So I'm going to let him work that miracle for me. And there are going to be things in my day and challenges in my day that are going to happen. And if I'm by myself, I'm going to get taken out. But with God, I will be helped and blessed and be able to accomplish the things that I need to do that are, you know, important for my life. So before we move on from that, I want to just like throw a little side note into that that concept of surrender is equally imperative for someone who is trying to work like an Al-Anon program or, or 12 steps for someone who they love and they can't control. You really have to also daily, you know, work on surrender. And and I think that's super applicable right now, too, for so many people going through really scary yeah, challenges, feeling right like, now. I don't know what my job's going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen to the economy. I don't know if people I love are going to die. Those are things that you can't necessarily control. I mean, you can stay in, you can wash your hands, you can do some things that will help you control but anything beyond that that's out of your control those are the things that you have to surrender 
So that's something that I'm practicing daily too, getting on my knees every morning and just surrendering anything that I don't have control over. And that has completely changed the way that my relationship is with my heavenly father, just giving everything to him that I can't control. And for a long time, for years, that was whatever you chose to do with your addiction, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And that concept, and then that's a principle really. And, and that's the foundation of the program. That's steps one, two, and three, which is basically admitting I'm powerless over my addiction, um, that my life's unmanageable, but I believe that God can restore me to sanity or spiritual health. And then in step three, you turn your, your life, your own will, the, the will that you've taken and kind of abused, and you turn that over to God and say, look, I will do what you want me to do. Um, I'm going to align myself with your will. And that's when, when magical things start to happen. I really do love AA. I, I love the the foundation. I love the big book. And one of the things that I really love is the serenity prayer, which you know, a lot of people are familiar with outside of AA, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and that's just such a beautiful prayer. And that really... Um, kind of sets the tone. So it's getting in this mindset and in this, you know, spiritually, this mentally, this place every day and living in this spot and then maintaining that throughout the day. And so um, that begins with prayer. Um, there's step study, there's material that you can read to kind of get you in that mindset. And then one of the big things for me is connecting with others in recovery. So the same concept of, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill W in the beginning, a couple of alcoholics trying to get better, meeting up and then talking and that somehow in that interaction, something happens where both get what they need in order to get better. Um, that's a principle for me that I, I is really important. So I reach out and make calls to other addicts or I'm on text threads with other addicts who are sharing recovery or sharing the struggle, you know, and just saying, Hey man, this is hard or I'm having a hard day and just being honest and vulnerable. Um, but maintaining that and then hitting the meetings, um, in order to maintain and work your own program. So, you know, it's, it's practicing these principles and then, you know, service is a big part of that as well. Um, but that's just some, some kind of some basics as far as the principles go of, you know, working a program or what I've tried to do and what I've seen others do who have been successful. So I want to talk about isolation right now for a minute, because that's something that so many people are struggling with um, with what our country's, the whole entire world, not just our country, is facing with trying to self-isolate to, you know, to help save lives. But how does that affect someone who is in addiction, who is, struggles with addiction? That one is really tough because typically they go hand in hand, addiction and isolation. Um, for me, that was the case. It's like, I kind of couldn't do one without the other. Like in order to engage my addiction, I had to isolate in some, in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of like a lot of the addiction wants you to be alone and by yourself. And then that's when it can kind of take over. So being in a situation as a country and as a world where we're being told to isolate, that makes it extremely difficult. I actually, um, a buddy of mine sent me this article as a Fox News article that basically um, was stating that um, the effect that that is having on people in recovery and in on addicts in general. So, I mean, the title of this Fox News article says, you know, health, coronavirus, um, co- coronavirus causing rise in drug alcohol relapses among people in recovery, expert says. So they talk a little bit about that. 
which totally makes sense. You're alone. You, you know, maybe you have access or you don't have access or you're, you're kind of playing those mind games. So much of a recovery is staying out of your own head because, uh, you know, I've heard the term and, and people talk about like being in my own mind is it's a rough neighborhood and it's not a place that I want to be. And so the trick to getting out of that place is to connect with somebody else to get you out of your own head and your own way of thinking um, that got you into an addiction in the first place in order to get out of it. So connection still is possible and still is completely vital, but now we just have to do it virtually, which is kind of what we're doing right now. Yeah. So you've walked us through a little bit of your dailies, like your surrender, your prayer, your connecting with others. Um, but I want to talk about, go back to talking about what it require, what's required of you if you actually really want to work the 12 steps and take this AA path seriously or whatever, you know, whatever acronym, but any, any one of the 12 step programs. Cause I think there are a lot of people who have the concept, the perception is you walk into a meeting, it's almost like a testimony meeting. You kind of just share your feelings. And by doing that every week, you eventually recover from your addiction. I wish that were the case. <laughs> I really do. That would make it so much easier if I could just go somewhere and talk and then that would heal me. Um, but there, there is work. There are things you actually have to do. So first and foremost, the peop- people that I've seen be successful and in myself where I saw traction was getting a sponsor. So going to a meeting and finding someone that, that has what you want. Um, and you'll hear it, you'll hear somebody share it and it will strike a chord and it will resonate. And then you, and then, you know, they were as sick as you were, but they found something and that you want and you can hear it when they share and you feel it. Um, and a lot of those people in step 12 as part of the 12 step program is to help others and walk others through the steps. So you're helping somebody work their program. You're helping somebody work step 12 by asking them to sponsor you. Um, so that's kind of step one is finding that sponsor and then getting to work and just sequentially one by one uh, working through steps one through 12. Um, and, and not in like the sense of, I want to get this done and graduate, which I think a lot of times you're like, all right, cool. Like I want to do one. Okay. Let's do two, three. And you want to work through that. That's the whole point of having a sponsor is they can help you and act as a guide. Um, it's not somebody that's like your parole officer or your bishop or your mom or dad. It's it's basically somebody who's walked the path before you, has found, you know, how to do it. You know, they relate it to climbing Mount Everest. They've they've climbed Mount Everest and now they're there to to show you the way and help you know what to watch out for and how to go about it so that you can be successful. Right. Can your spouse be your sponsor? Um you could. <laughs> theoretically, we've tried that. It it it's a bad idea. I wouldn't suggest it. Um, usually you want another addict. Um, you want somebody who, again, who's struggled with the addiction, who's worked through the steps, who's found recovery, um, and who is at that place, um, in order to, that's, that's when, you know, according to the big book and other, my experiences in my own and in meetings, that's where people have found success. So let's just briefly go through each of the steps and just give people like a a very high level overview of what each of those steps would look like if they were to work the 12 steps. So first and foremost, people always want to read through all of them and then take it all in at once. And if you do that, you're never going to work this program. There's a reason why it's worked sequentially one step at a time and that you only focus on the step that you're on and that's it. 
until you talk to your sponsor and between the both, you know, the two of you, you feel like, okay, yeah, we're ready to move on to step two, you know? So, um, sequentially focusing on, and, and they build off of each other. They're, they're in order for a certain reason. You can't jump to 12 if you haven't done one through 11, or you can't jump to nine if you haven't done one through eight. So they have to be worked sequentially in order um, with a sponsor or a trusted advisor in order to be successful. So step one is basically admitting that you're powerless. You know, the realization that I've tried all these years, I've tried everything, I've tried and tried and tried and on my own and I've not found success, I admit it, I'm defeated. I, I cannot do this on my own. Um, admitting that that your life is unmanageable. And so that there's some work there. There's some digging in. There's some admission. There's some, and a lot of times you don't feel that way. I didn't feel that way when I came in. I'm like, okay, I, I've got a problem with pornography, but I don't feel like my life is unmanageable or like I'm out of control or I just, you know, I just have this problem that comes up here now and again. So you got to work through that. Where there's a lot of denial and stuff that you don't you're not even seeing, and that's another reason why you need a sponsor is to help you see kind of cut through the BS. Because um, addicts were great liars, um, lie to ourselves, and and the whole addiction is built in part or mostly on lies to ourselves and others. So admitting you're powerless, and then coming to believe that a power greater than yourself, or in the ARP program, God, the, God the Eternal Father and His Son Jesus Christ, can restore you to complete spiritual health. In the original, um, I actually like the original AA text where it says restore you to sanity because I, I mean, it just makes you know a lot of sense to me of you're insane in your addiction in a lot of ways. But basically coming to believe that there is some greater source or God that can help you. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. A lot of people struggle with those concepts. Those who have believed maybe have some, some kind of inaccurate uh, beliefs about who God is, that God hates them or doesn't love them. And so you, you got to work through a lot of that. Or if you don't have faith in general, you're like, man, I just don't even believe in God. Um, obviously, that's going to be tough to work that step without a belief in God. So once you kind of work through that, then it's... Um, well, let me just also, for anyone who's listening and is like, I don't really get the powerlessness thing because I didn't understand that for a long time. And that was something I struggled with. It would make me really angry when I would hear people describe an addict is being powerless, I would be like, if you cared enough about me, you would just stop doing this thing that you supposedly want to stop yeah. doing so badly. It really wasn't until I heard other people describe what powerlessness was. And I even heard Neil share in a meeting that I was attending. He was like, I know I don't want to do this, but it's almost like an out-of-body experiencing. Like I'm watching myself do something that I'm saying that I don't want to do because I've just done it so many times and it's my go-to for, for any time I feel pain or loneliness or boredom that I just go there automatically. Even when I, there's a part of me that thinks I don't want to, I, I like watch myself do it over and over. And that finally clicked for me. Like these people who struggle with addiction, it's almost like they've made that choice so many times that they don't even know how to stop themselves from doing it over and over. Yeah. Is that right? And that, that is one of the most crazy experiences about being an addict of walking into a situation knowing, and, and maybe there's some, you know, for me at least, it was like, I knew that what was on the line, everything I cared about was on the line, my marriage, my family, my church membership, my own feeling about myself. Like I knew what the consequences were. I had total accountability and yet I'm walking into this situation where I know I'm going to indulge in my addiction or act out on it. That to me is insanity. 
like that's crazy, you know, being totally aware and yet doing the opposite of what you know is right. Um, and so that's powerlessness and that's what it looks like for me. Um, that's what it means. And there's, there's, you know, scientific, there's a science to it and there's, you know, the breaks of the brain and the prefrontal cortex usually is, is the part that would stop you. Um, but through engaging in your addiction, you know, you've listened to the other part of your brain that, that is the fight or flight center. And, you know, you've obeyed that so much that that prefrontal cortex is, is, you know, shrunken down and not active in order to, you know, help you to make a better decision. Um, so there's, you know, there's the scientific part of that, but I, for me, what I've found is I could know the science and still act out. Um, and no, that was even more frustrating. So it really came down to a spiritual solution for me. So we were on, I think you, you kind of step explained. three. Okay. Um, so step three is surrendering. Basically at this point you're powerless. You believe that God can help you, but then step three, you surrender. You turn your life over to God and say, okay, look, I, I don't have this whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And that's where beautiful things start to happen. So the next few steps, there's a lot of work. This is where you're kind of getting to work and you're cleaning house. So step four is you lay out a personal inventory, basically looking at all your wrongs or things that you've done in your addiction and lay those out um, on written paper. You're writing, writing them down pen to paper um, and being thorough and, and not holding back. And then in step five, this is where you, you have to have a sponsor. Um, you share that with another person, your sponsor, and who kind of helps you look for patterns or shed light on what happened. And you're just getting it out. You're cleaning house. You know, you're digging out some, some, some dark corners. You're, you're kind of trolling the lake, so to speak, to, to pull those things out um, and put them in the proper perspective. And I'd also identify where, you, you know, most importantly, what your weaknesses are, where you were wrong and see those patterns so that in step six, which is, you know, you're preparing yourself to allow God to remove these character weaknesses or defects, which are the foundation of the addiction in the first place. Um, you identify those and you see where, why you're an addict. And then you prepare yourself to be ready to have those removed. And then in step seven, this is the, the miracle, at least for what it was for me, you actually ask God to remove those defects of character, those character weaknesses um, that are the foundation of your addiction. And he works that miracle. And I think that's the one that we're always striving to jump for before, at least I was, um, before getting into recovery, I was like, man, I just want to, I want it changed. I want it taken away. Um, but I wasn't prepared to give it to God, if that makes sense. Um, so the step, the first, you know, steps one through six kind of helped me get to that spot where I was willing to let go and allow him to take that away. Um, and then step eight, you know, there's, there's probably people that you wronged in your addiction. Probably. Uh, there will be <laughs> indefinitely. Yeah. Um, so you make a list. That's all you do is you make a list of those people. You And then step nine, you review your list with your sponsor and make, you know, make sure that it's, you're making amends appropriately and properly. And, and in some instances, it's not appropriate to make amends, um, to certain people, because you could do further harm. And that's kind of, I like that in, in the original 12 steps talks about that in step nine says, you know, sought to make amends, except when to do so would, would hurt yourself or others. Mm -hmm. um, I love that too. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so then in step, so you've, you've done this work, you've made your amends, you know, you've, you've taken this inventory, all these things. Step 10 is you, you maintain this change that's happened and, and indefinitely we're not perfect. There's struggles that still come up. These character weaknesses or these, you know, things that cause you to be an addict in the first place, they creep up 
in your day to day. So you got to watch for them. You got to take an inventory each day of when you're wrong. And when you're wrong, you have to promptly admit it to maintain those changes um, during stressful times. Then step 11, you're maintaining your connection with God or your higher power through meditation and prayer. And then step 12, you're practicing all of these principles or all the steps um, as they come up or apply to your life each day. And then you're sharing the message or helping other addicts through recovery or in general. Right. Which is kind of what we're trying to do today. And I also just, I love it. Now, now that I understand the whole circle of life with recovery, I love to go to a meeting and hear like the, Neil always calls them like the salty AA old timers that come in and they have years and years of sobriety and they play such a vital role in giving people hope and giving someone a sponsor to ask. And just, you know, it's, it's like, they need to be there also, not, not just because they serve a selfish role of just keeping their sobriety, but also that's what helps other people who come in for the first time to feel like maybe this will work for me. Yeah. You need, I needed to see that. I needed to see somebody who was an example of like, man, this is possible. And for me seeing somebody that had, you know, even like, you know, a couple of months, I was like, Whoa, no way. Like part of me was like, you're lying. And the other part was like, man, that's amazing. And then you get people who are, you know, it's like years, five years, 10 years, you know, 20 years. Some of these guys that I've seen in meetings, you got like 20, 30, 40 years, you know, AA and, and other programs. So you need those guys. We need to see that it can be done. And so I think it's hard to see that a lot of times people will get recovery and then they'll, they'll bounce, you know, and, and stop going to these meetings. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I look to those people and I'm like, man, we need you. <laughs> I need, yeah. we need to see, I need you in these meetings to, to, to provide your experience, strength and, and hope, man, to, to be able to know that it can be done, especially for the newcomer to come in and, and see that guy who's got 20 or 30 years. Give, give what has been freely given. How yeah, Freely give what was freely given to, to us. Uh, there's a way cooler way to say it. I'm just, my, my. Jesus said it a little bit better in the Bible. off a little bit today, but, um, but yeah. No, it's been awesome. I have one last question for you. So if there's someone listening to this, who's, who they know deep down that they're struggling with an addiction and they need to do something about it, what's, what's your advice? What's your parting advice for that person? Um, recovery for me is has been has been a series of contrary actions and what i mean by that is basically doing the exact opposite of what you feel like doing um i didn't feel like going to a meeting with a bunch of other people who were addicts um and, and expressing that <laughs> i was an addict i didn't feel like being honest with my wife or my bishop or whatever like those those were like death moments of like man i'd rather die than do that but that's where, for me, that's where the recovery happened and, and what it requires is, is to basically take what I feel like doing and do the opposite. So usually deep down and on some level, you know what that is. Or, you know, once I was open to listening, I knew what that was. And so it just took like, okay, I'm going to take one contrary action at a time. I will, I will do this. And it's one day at a time. It's one action at a time. Um, and if a day is too much, you break it down to a half and so on and so forth. But it's, it's, you know, especially in the beginning, a lot of contrary actions. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story, sharing all this wisdom. And um, where can people find some of these resources if they do want to get started, if they do want to find a virtual meeting, if they do want to, you know, reach out and get some help right now? 
you've got all kinds of resources. Um, so you, you can go in and, you know, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and you can look up, there's a meeting finder. Basically you can type in, you know, your zip code and it'll bring up meetings all over. You can go to, you know, if it's pornography or sex addiction, you can go to SA, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous, you know, with that, uh, there's again, a meeting locator there that'll pull up all your local meetings. I love the addiction recovery program that the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints does, uh, because that's, those are the things that I grew up having faith in. And that, that foundation of my understanding of, of God is, you know, is in line with, with those doctrines. And so they kind of incorporate the 12 steps and those doctrines in those meetings. So, uh, the, that's the ARP, um, We'll put the we'll put it in the show notes. It's churchofjesuschrist.ar or addictionrecovery.org, I think. But we'll we'll make sure that's correct I'll and link put, it up in the show all notes. All of these will be in the show notes. I'll put all the resources here. And there's so um, many virtual meetings. If you happen to be listening to this during COVID nineteen still when this is rampant and people are having to self-isolate, you can attend a meeting virtually. There are meetings like multiple times a day, every day. And if you can't get to an ARP meeting, you know, go to an AA meeting. If you, you know, there's, there is a 12 step meeting. I guarantee you wherever you are. And if for some crazy reason you're in the middle of like the bush somewhere, you can virtually either call in meetings. And now more than ever, there are like zoom meetings. There are all kinds of like, that's, that's the thing. Like there's, there's no excuse not to be able to find a meeting at this point in time, which is an amazing thing. I agree. Well, thanks again for doing this with me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.